Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. Today we are recording episode 37. And I'm very excited to have tonight's guest. But before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, A Gift from Adversity. A Gift from Adversity by Joy Love, I'm your host, is published in 2020 and it became Amazon number one new release in three different categories. And this is a book about my life. Subtitle is Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. And these are the things that I went through growing up, which affected me for pretty much all my life. And I wanted to create a book, publish a book to share not only share my about my life but also hoping that my book would help people who went through adversity and how i overcame the adversity that i thought it was important and i felt compelled to write this after i published my book a lot of people reached out to me and told me that they also are the victim of sexual abuse or homelessness, domestic violence, bullying. So I really felt compelled to start a social media platform and podcast where people can talk about adversity without a stigma. I am so lucky to start this pod, uh, podcast since January of 2022. I've had 36 guests from all over the world. And today I'm very excited to have Richard Kaufman, who is from New York. And I'm grateful to record episode 37. Hi, Richard. Thank you so much for being here tonight. I'm so grateful to be able to hang out with you and talk to you today. Thank you so much. Wonderful. So, Richard, can you please tell our audience? your name, and what you do. My name is Richard Kaufman, also known as The Comeback Coach. I'm an author. I'm a speaker. um, I'm a top 1% podcaster in the world. And I am a hope dealer. I went from dope dealer to hope dealer. So I help people that are struggling in life, give them hope again, and let them know that they're worth it. Well... Thank you so much for sharing. What is your website and so people you can, can follow? You, you can either go look anywhere, um, any everywhere. If you just go to Vertical Momentum Podcast, we're everywhere. Or they can hashtag the Comeback Coach. I'm everywhere. So I'm, I'm everywhere on every planet. <laughs> everywhere. I mean, first page of Google. If you, if you Google me, you'll find me on ver- Vertical Momentum. So you have Instagram, Facebook. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Tumblr, Flickr. We're everywhere. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And what do you do as a comeback coach? I know you said a little bit. Can you explain a little bit more? Yeah, I actually help people um, that are struggling, whether it's in life or in business. I help them reach the best their biggest potential. I've helped people with from um, Major League Baseball, uh, WWE, NFL football, 
basketball, uh, all, all types of people. I just help people that are struggling to live their best life and to start changing their family's legacy. Great. And also talk about your podcast, Top 1%. What is your podcast about? Um, it's called Vertical Momentum. A resiliency podcast is about being resilient. Um, and we've only been going since last January. I think we've had almost 300,000 downloads. We've had a lot of great guests come on, but it's always about the guest and the listener because, you know, as we know with COVID, a lot of people are struggling and a lot of people want hope. And I'm the hope guy. I'm the guy that are going to, that's going to give you hope and let you know that you're good enough and you're, you're worth your life and you're worth more. So I'm going to get you where you want to be. That's wonderful. So before we start our main topic, which is adversity, I'm just curious, why did you want to start your podcast? I was actually, I'm an accidental podcaster. What happened was um, I lost, I went blind two years ago. I went 80% blind and I had to find something to do to not go be, go stir crazy. And I figured, let me start a podcast. And Anchor, I didn't really need to see. So I started my podcast on Anchor. And now, we, now we're doing video and everything. But that's how it all started. And then I just started, you know, talking to more people and getting more people to listen to it. And then all of a sudden, it just became a big thing. And now I'm speaking all over the world, teaching people how to podcast. So it just became a big thing that never meant to be. It was never meant, this was never meant to happen. Well, you never know what happens in your life. So that's that what makes your life very interesting and exciting. So, Richard, let's dive into our main topic, which is the adversity. So would you please tell our audience, what was the adversity? I have plenty of adversity. A lot of it was my own fault. Um, a lot of it wasn't. But um, I have personally come back from drug addiction alcoholism, homelessness, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, blind uh, anxiety, blindness. Um, so I've had a lot of different um, stuff that happens in my life. But I kind of, like your podcast talks about, I turned my mess into my message and it's been a gift to me. So I'm very grateful for everything that I've been through, you know, just like you, you know, to being the homelessness. A lot of people don't know what it's like to not know where that next meal is coming from, to not know how you're going to stay warm or how you're not going to get a cold from sleeping in the rain. And and th and hopefully when people listen to us, they're never going to have to go through that stuff because we're we're telling them what not to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, Richard, let's just go back to one adversity at a time because you said a lot of things. And then those are just the words and description, just like me. Oh, I over, like, no, I went through sexual abuse, childhood. That's just the word. But the magnitude of it, as myself, a survivor, it's a significant event in your life. So let's start a little bit 
earlier in your life, what happened when you were a child that led to these adversities? Well, um, my father left when I was three months old. And my mother was in active addiction at this time. Um, thank God, because uh, I, I got sober uh, 33 years ago. And she got sober a little bit after me. So she's been clean and sober. Um, but, you know, we went through a lot because she was an addict, but then she was also a nurse. So we know how a lot of nurses work um, every weekend, every holiday. So I, I was left to, to with babysitters or sometimes left to my own devices. And um, by the age of 12, I had my first drink. And by the age of 13, I was a full blown alcoholic. So because I had I had it was I had no parental guidance. So I just did whatever I wanted to do at that time. Wow. I'm very sorry to hear that. And then um, what happened after you started drinking at such a young age? I'm sure that would have affected your school life as well. Well, um, a bad thing about, you know, when I was growing up now, there, we, they call it attention deficit disorder. Um, I had major ADD. Um, so I would learn a subject in school and I would, okay, I'm done with it. I'm bored. Let's go on, move on. And that doesn't do, I didn't do too well in school because I was a different kind of reader, a different kind of learner. And as we all, now we know, everybody learns on a different plane, but um, not only that. So I got ADD. Now I'm an at, I'm a drug addict. I mean, alcoholic. So um, I got thrown out of school for hitting a teacher with a desk and they, they, uh, they threw me out. So at the age of 17, it was either I go to jail or I joined the military and I kind of did both. I would join the military and went to jail while I was in the military. Wow. And um, so you are about 16, 17 at the time? Yep, I was seven, 16 years old when they threw me out. And I turned 17 in January and I joined the military. I left for the military in, at like February, in February. So you mentioned a little bit about alcohol um, addiction that started at age 13, um, how about the drug part? I didn't find, I mean, I tried marijuana twice. I didn't like it. I was like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but I joined the military and that's when I found drugs and I became a drug addict. So not only in the military, my 17 years old, now I'm a 17 year old, with al an alcoholic, a drug addict with a weapon. So that's kind of scary at 17 years old. But, you know, that's how I became an addict. And that's why I, I, I was in, um, in the military for two and a half years before they threw me out for being a drug addict and an alcoholic. And what happened after that? I came home and, um, you know, for two years, I was partying all over the world partying like a rock star, having fun, traveling everywhere. And to come home with my mom and dad and to have to be in bed, you know, be home by 10 o'clock because my parents got to get up at five o'clock because they got to be at work by six. You know, uh, I didn't respect them. And I, I really regret that today. 
Um, and they threw me out. They're like, listen, you want to do what you, you know, if you want to do what you want to do, you can't live here. And that's when I became homeless and was living in my car. Like I said, anything that's ever happened to me, I take responsibility for it. It's my fault. Um, and so I lived in my car for probably uh, maybe 18 months. I lived, in my, I lived in my car. I lived in my truck. And, and, and it was my own fault. Well, I disagree with you. That was your fault. As a survivor myself, I had my own share of mistakes. And had you ever gotten help when you had a parental guidance, when you start to get a hands on alcohol at such a young age, if somebody had said that that's illegal, that you can't do that, and I think it would be a completely different turnaround. So it, it probably would, but I wouldn't be the man that I am today if mm -hmm. I didn't go through my adversity. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and, you know, everybody had their own shares, and I really appreciate you being vulnerable and brave and to share that. And I just want to let you and an audience know that these are adversities that I wanted to feature because a lot of times when we share these adversities, people do not understand. People maybe isolate you or judge you and you feel absolutely lonely. And sometimes on the surface, people may feel compassion towards you or say sorry to you. But at the end of the day, you are the one who is suffering and who is facing these adversities. So what happened after you became homeless? You said you had more adversities and then can you talk about your eyesight as well? Yeah, what happened was, um, well, the first thing that happened was that I, mom, my mother let me move back in if I went to school. So I became a bartender and uh, which wasn't a great idea being an alcoholic and a bartender. But I got a job on New Year's Eve in 1988. Uh, police officer asked me if I wanted to bartend for his, his bar. And I bartended that night and um, everything was going great until somebody bought me a drink and then I bought them a drink. And from that point on, I don't remember anything. Uh, I just remember waking up the next morning with like $8,000 in my pocket and somebody knocking on my front door. And it was that police officer and three of his buddies come in to lock me up because I robbed the place. Uh, but the guy that I wish I knew who he was, I would take him out for dinner. I would kiss and hug on him because the guy that I actually robbed actually saved my life. Because he said, you know, Rich, you know, you're 20 years old. You know, you're not even legal age to drink. But, you know, if you go to jail now, because I was looking at five years for grand larceny. He says, if you go to jail right now, you're going to be somebody's bo boyfriend and your whole life is going to be ruined. He said, I'm going to give you 24 hours to get my money back. And and I'm going to, you have to go to 90 meetings and Alcoholics Anonymous in 90 days. So I borrowed the money from my family, which I did pay back. Um, and my dad helped me out, which is, you know, the person that I got along with the least. He actually bailed me out. And um I got the money back to him and instead of going to 90 meetings, I hit like 300 in a row 
and I haven't had a drink since January 2nd, 1989. So that was one of my biggest, my big adversities. And uh, that was one of the biggest, one of the best decisions I made was this, I didn't want to be, you know, I didn't want to go to jail. So I had a choice and I think I made the right choice. Wow. That's really powerful. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. And how about your eyesight? What happened? Well, what happened was the day I got locked up, um, the people that bailed me out was my aunt, my uncle, and my father. Now, my father was prior military. My uncle was prior military. And he said something to me. He said, uh, I knew you didn't have what it takes to be a military man. And it just ate at me for like the next six months. So I did everything I could. And I actually got back in the military for a second time. But I still had an attitude problem. I still had the chip on my shoulder. Um, and uh, I, I, I stayed in until 2001. And uh, because of the attitude I had, I was going to be thrown out for the second time. But because of what happened that morning of September 11th, um, it changed my whole life what happened that day. And that morning, I woke up one person. And when I went to bed that night, I woke up, a to to I was a totally different person just in that, those couple hours that the, the events that happened um, changed my life. And a little backdrop um, where I'm standing where I'm sitting right now, if I go stand on my front porch, I can see where the Twin Towers once stood. And we knew people that were in the towers that day, friends of ours. So that, that day changed my whole life. It changed my whole perspective on life. And um, like I said, I was going to be thrown out for the military. But I literally cried out that day to the Lord. I said, Lord, give me another chance to be able to help people that can't couldn't make it home you know they couldn't make it out of those buildings and thank god the military decided to keep me um thank the lord and within three years i became soldier of the year um, i became a non-commissioned officer i finished with over 23 years in the military but i would have done 30 but this is what when you ask about my eyesight what happened was i was backing up a vehicle and instead of him hitting the brakes, he hit the gas and he ran over the whole right side of my body and ran over the right, my, my head. And I actually had an ocular stroke in this eye. And um, so I became blind in that eye. And, you know, if you're in the military, if anybody thinks, you know, how can a, a guy with one eye stay in the military? You can't. So they told me, you know, if you can't see, you can't shoot. Um, so it ended my military career. And the day that my career ended was the day that I actually attempted suicide. And how old were you? Hmm. Oh, my daughter. I was about 40 at this time. So I did 20. I did 20, 23 years in the military at this time. I was trying to do 30, but I did about 23. Wow. That's a lot to digest. 
<laughs> like I said, it's not. I have so many things, but you know, it's. I don't. You know, I don't think it's a big story, but a lot of people do. But I just think it's. It's my story. It's my life. So uh, there's, like you said, there's so many things to digest. But you know, that's why they call me the comeback coach because I've come back from so much. So I can empathize with a lot of people that have gone through stuff because I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt and threw the T-shirt away. Yes, absolutely. So, Richard, I truly appreciate you sharing your life adversity with me on this podcast. And then I'm sure some people who may be listening or who will listen to this episode would be very shocked to hear your adversity. But yeah, um, I think it's very intriguing, inspiring story that I'm grateful that you are willing to share with the world. Well, I'm grateful. You know, like Oprah Winfrey says, the best way to help yourself is by helping others. So that's why I do what I do. Yes, absolutely. So um, let's move on to another question which is the tools that you use to overcome these adversities that you went through um so i've had many guests tell me there are tools that they use to overcome now yours were many different life stages and different adversities that maybe you had different techniques to overcome each one of them but something that you can share with our audience, a tool or tools that you thought it was very helpful for you to overcome these challenges. Well, I, I, I teach, I, I'm also a coach. So I actually teach a, 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 a 12 week course on the three pillars of forgiveness. Um, and for me, my life didn't change until I started using the three pillars of forgiveness. And the three pillars of forgiveness are, one, forgive everybody that has hurt you. Um, don't forget it, but forgive them. Um, ask for forgiveness for all the people that you've hurt. Because whether you think about it or not, you know, hurt people, hurt people. So ask, you know, ask for people that if you hurt somebody, say, listen, I'm sorry, I can't change it but I'm willing to make amends if I can. And third thing, and the hardest part is um, forgiving yourself. You know, for, and I think self-forgiveness is the hardest thing because, you know, we carry around this stuff for years and years and years. And if we don't get rid of all that junk, we're just going to keep carrying it. And as you get older, you're just going to keep piling it on and then you're not going to be able to walk anymore. So if you can, you know, that, those are the biggest tips that I can say is, you know, use the three pillars of forgiveness that I teach. This way you don't have to carry that stuff anymore and you could become free. And once you're free and you're able to move, you can walk in, in the light. You know, you can walk in the light. You don't have to carry that stuff anymore. So you teach these 12 weeks, three pillars of forgiveness. But how did you come up with these tools? And then did you learn that from somebody or did you come up with it and that you just applied it? Oh, um, obviously pretty much nobody ever comes up with anything. Everything is borrowed from somebody else or something you learn or, you know, a mentor 
Um, I've been in, in recovery for 12, 33 years now in AA, NA, and those are some of the things they talk about. So what I just did is I just broke it down and to find out, you know, where a person is in their life now and where to start applying it. Because, you know, s- certain people are at certain parts of their life, you know, so not everybody's at the same place. So that's when I found out, hey, you know what, if you're at this part using the three pillars, you can switch any of the three pillars at the time you need it. So, that, you know, that's just become my framework that I've started to use. Like, say, if you're, if you're struggling with being a self, you know, if you're struggling with, um, you know, imposter syndrome, you know, we can work around that. Whatever you're struggling with usually has to do with one of those three issues. Because, you know, I've interviewed now on my show almost 500 people. And I find that trauma happens when from the ages of three to 13. And then in a lot of cases, you add alcohol to the mix, drugs to the mix, relationships to the mix. All of a sudden, you're in a perfect storm and nobody tells you how to get out of the perfect storm unless they've been there. And that's why I'm here. That's why you're here. We're here to help pull that person up out of that perfect storm. So that's what my my pillars of of, uh, forgiveness are is I can help you. I guarantee I can get your life changed in 90 days, but you got to do the work. I could just give you the framework. You got to put the work in. And what are the success stories that you can share with us, testimonials that some of the people, that clients that you help, were, were, what kind of stage were they before they met you? I mean, I've had people that have, I have one gentleman, um, he was over 600 pounds. And now he's 200 pounds. He's happy, healthy, married, a family. So I helped him out physically. Um, there was another guy, because I used to do a Monday Night Live show called the Monday Night Live Comeback, the Monday Night Comeback. And he actually was at his desk with a gun in his mouth, ready to pull the trigger when he heard something that I said. And right there, he put the gun down, took the the, 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 the round out. Oh, sorry about that. He took the round out, called 911. And now he's been clean and sober for over uh, 10 years now. And now he has a happy, he has a great job. He's got a great family. Uh, So that's one of my success stories. And for me, you know, um, I don't ever want to take any of the credit. It's God. He's, he's got his hand in everything. So as long as I have people like that, you know, then I've hit my book. um, My books hit number one, hit number one twice on Amazon in uh, substance abuse. I've had over uh, 500 reviews on my podcast where just people getting tools wherever they're at and not just from me, but from others. So those are my success stories. But um, for me, I think success is just for me now, I, you know, I don't ever think of myself as the number one, uh, number one best book author or top paid speaker or top podcaster. My favorite titles are father or daddy, their husband, being a husband of my wife and and a father to my three kids. Um, Those are, those my success stories because my sons are in college and my other son is in high school and he's, he's got a uh, distinguished honors 
And so those are my success stories. And I think they say, if you want to see how a person is successful, look at their wife and look at their kids. So those are my success stories. Well, thank you so much. And I'm happy that you found the tools to overcome these challenges. And now you are on the other end of helping other people where I'm sure when you are going through these adversities growing up, that maybe you would have never thought about it. Yeah, and you know, I wish that I would have gone, you know, known that there was places that you can go for help. Um, and but I think now people with social media, with podcasts, you know, people know that, you know, even though I can't say you can't get out, like I was disabled for a while, I couldn't get out. But with social media, there's groups you can join. There's, you know, different organizations you can join online. So you don't have to be really be alone if you don't want to be alone. You know what I mean? Yes, I completely understand. I'm actually a single mom and there's a, a Facebook closed um, page, private group page called Single Mom Tribe. And we share information as a single mom and it has been very, very helpful, to be honest. And I never met some people. Well, some people reached out to me after I post something, but you know, it's all virtually kind of connected. And that group has been very life-saving to me. And me too. You know, I, I joined a group called Vet Vetrepreneur Tribe. They're veterans, but they're entrepreneurs. And but when I first moved in New Jersey, I had fifty dollars in my pocket and I only knew my wife. I had no friends on Facebook. I had no nobody. Until I realized that, you know, in order to have a friend, you got to be a friend. And that's when I really started reaching out to people and say, listen, I don't have any friends. Would you be my friend? And now I have so many people in my life. But I had to, I had to take the first step and say, you know what, guys, I'm lonely. I'm struggling. I need help. And people are out there like us, me and you, you know, we're willing to help. And we're not asking for anything. We, we just want you to be okay. Yes, absolutely. You know, when I see my children, I go to playground where I take them. So my daughter is five years old. And then when I was waiting for my son's uh, rehearsal, we went to this elementary school playground and there was a birthday party and she was never a part of it. We just like went the random place and she just started to talk to them. And then next thing I know is she's crashing the birthday party and then they gave her all this like the birthday tools that they had snacks and cake and then she was just part of it became part of it all of a sudden with the stranger and then i went to spain for um three weeks by myself and then the guy that i was renting the apartment and he went away a little bit and then he had a girlfriend now it's his wife and I never been to Spain, and I swear I have no friends there. But then at the end of the third week, I met a lot of people, and I called a lot of people, and then I said I am throwing a surprise party for uh, my renter's girlfriend at the time. So we had like maybe so many people in an apartment, and it was 
great. She was so surprised. We were like all hiding. And I think it depends. My Spanish wasn't that great, but like, and I tried. And I think no matter where you are, I think it's important that you open up your first, uh, you open up yourself first to, you know, people. If you're especially lonely, and especially after you went through these adversities, you definitely feel different, and you feel alone, and then you feel nobody can understand you. But at the same time. As I open up my adversities and my stories to general public or you know friends, like I start to feel like a significant significance of sharing my story because I didn't realize there are so many people who went through adversities in their lives, regardless of race, social status, you know, age. It doesn't matter, and then I feel, especially doing this podcast, that I had guests from Denmark, Spain, like Germany, like all over the United States, and then we all talked about adversities, and then I felt empowered, sad, but at the same time empowered that adversity is sort of universal language. It doesn't discriminate you; it just comes at you. And you just have to learn how to overcome. Yeah, but now, you know, there may be people out there might be wondering as you're listening to us, well, how do I talk to somebody? Because, you know, everything now is text message and, you know, but, you know, how, and they'll say, well, how do I talk to somebody like out, you know, say at the park? You know, for me, I would be like if I seen somebody and I'm sitting next to them, I'd be like, you know, if I, it was a male, I'd be like, you know, if I seen them drive up in a nice car, I'd be like, that's a really nice car. I love the color. What color, you know, what is, what kind of car is it? Just starting like that, you know, and, and a lot of times if, if you like, when I, if you want to make somebody's acquaintance, just say something nice about them, you know, say, you know, what, well, you know, I mean, not saying nothing, nothing weird, you know, but be like, you know, if you see somebody, you know, with a wife and a child, be like, you got a, you got a beautiful kid or, you know, and it just starts relate to talking like that small talk. But, you know, like a lot of times if you give a compliment to somebody, they're so much willing to talk to you and you're not really asking for anything. You're just giving a compliment. And a lot of people don't get compliments anymore. So just saying, you know, you got a great smile. Imagine what that how you could light that person's day up if they're struggling with something that may, might make them feel a little bit better about themselves, you know. I like the idea and I just want to share quickly with you and our audience. We actually did a random act of kindness challenge in the month of February and it's maybe third, fourth year. And we actually won the challenge because we are doing random act of kindness. And one of the things that we post on this private group about random act of kindness is to give a compliment. And then, you know, sometimes, like you said, maybe you don't get a compliment. And then sometimes like, you know, okay, I am going to intentionally give compliment to people today. And then sometimes I heard that people start to cry because, you know, they just needed to hear that. Or we actually gave balloon or flowers, like just, you know, random act of kindness. And, you know, some people said, some men actually said, I actually needed this today. Mm-hmm. And you just never know what yeah. people are going through. You know, especially like I, I find that like if I'm going through a grocery line, and I see, say, if it was a lady, her, her name is Barbara, I'd say, I'd stop and be like, hey, Barbara, I hope you're having a great day. And sometimes it'll cheer that person up 
because the greatest thing you can ever call, tell somebody is their own name. And if you just say, you know, Barbara, I hope you're having a great day. I hope things get better. That might cheer, cheer them up for the rest of your, their shift just because you recognize their name and you said, have a beautiful day. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's really great technique. Um, I think as a survivor, you went through so many adversities and so did I. And as us, as a survivor, I think we could be extra compassionate and extra empathetic and be intentional of not only overcoming our adversities, but like you said, helping other people, even like one moment or, you know, a second that you can brighten their day days because you are intentional and you know the challenges that you face in your life. Yeah. And for me, I, I look for ways to be blessings for people um, because I believe in karma. I believe that whatever you put out there is coming back. So I actually look for people that I can help every day. I look for people that I can give a blessing to. I look for like a lot of times when you go to checkouts, if you know they want to give the cancer, heck yeah, I'm going to give it without them even asking because I know I'm doing something good, but I also know the, the law of less reciprocity, it's coming back to me. So I think if you look to bless people, you're going to be blessed. What did you say about law of what? Reciprocity. It just means that whatever you give, you're going to get back. It's like the law of attraction. If you put out positiveness, you're going to get positive back. If you put out negative, you're going to get negative back. So I just believe, I, I'm a big believer in, in that. Do you think that shifted you? Oh, totally. Especially in the last, um, the last six months to a year. Um, I did a challenge. Somebody said, you know, you can change your life in 30 days. And I asked him, how do you do that? He said, I want you to go on whatever social media is, whatever, if you use Facebook, and I want you to heart and I want you to like every good thing, every positive thing. And I don't want you to even look at the negative stuff. And after 30 days, all you're seeing is positive stuff. So your mind is the same way. It's called the reticular activating system in your brain. It says that whatever you look for, you're going to find it. So that's when I started get taking a deep dive. And a lot of people will be like, what are you talking about? So just think, you know, what, picture the last car that you bought. You know, everybody wanted that one car. They loved that one car. And then as soon as they bought it, they started seeing that car everywhere. Same thing with the law of attraction. If you start seeing the positives, your mind's going to start looking for all the positives and going to get rid of all the negative stuff. It's very interesting, Richard, because I feel like ever since I was abused and had this brainwash growing up, I feel that I don't deserve the happiness. I don't know how to be happy. I don't know how to have the safe environment. And I don't know how to have a partner who is safe and nice to me because I'm uncomfortable being happy. And I looked for probably the sadness, sad story, and maybe like, I wouldn't say unfortunate, but drama that 
I was raised in the state of emergency every day. So much violence around and a lot of affirmation practice and subconscious shift. I recently deal, did um, trans pers personal trans regression therapy where I was in a kind of hypnosis stage. Then um, the healer would talk to me about my past life, not my present life, and how can I cleanse it from the past life. It was very interesting. But I've tried so much modality that, you know, how do we, you and I, went through this adversity, keep seeking these tools and try to be better? Why do you think is that? For Okay, so I have this philosophy. And this is taught to me by the mentors that I have in my life today. For me personally, I have to stop looking at what I don't want in my life and start looking at what I do want in my life. So say if I want a, a brand new house for my wife, um, I'm not going to say I don't want this house. No, I want that house. And sometimes we get so worried about focusing on what we don't want that we don't get what we do want because we're not focusing on it. You know what I mean? So if a person to say, you know what, I don't want a husband that's going to beat me up or I don't want a wife that's going to cheat on me. Well, what kind of wife do you want? You know, what kind of husband do you want? That's what you should be focusing on, not what you don't want. That's a great advice because it's almost like half the glass is empty or full type of philosophy that you just don't pick on what you don't have, but you more manifest of yeah. like low attraction that like you said, like what clearly like you want, like what, what do you manifest on? In my case, like for instance, just a small talk, I always wanted to be TV. I always wanted to be a movie. And that came true. I was on Japanese TV show. Um, 7.5 million people watched my episode. And now I'm in this Oscar-nominated uh, movie called Don't Look Up as a Japanese reporter with this giant Hollywood stars. And that the story came true, but I wasn't like really struggling or going after. I was just like, I want this. I really want this. And then I tr truly um, agree with you that if you start to look at what I don't have right now, like, I think I will be very miserable every day. Yeah. And like, for, I don't like for me, I don't look at what I don't have. Um, but one thing I also, when I wake up in the morning, because I believe that your morning rituals and your evening rituals are what make your whole day. I wake up in the morning, first 15 minutes, I don't look at my phone. I don't turn the TV on. I just think and I pray and I meditate. And I just say thank you for everything I do have. Because I was taught by my, my martial arts teacher. You know, he taught me that you, you cannot receive the gift with a clenched fist. So if you don't live in attitude of gratitude, you can't, the, 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 the world cannot give you if you don't appreciate what you have. And if you're a parent, you understand that. Like if you have a kid that's a spoiled brat, doesn't appreciate what they got, you're not going to want to give them more. 
But if they appreciate what you have, what they have and take care of it, of course, you want to give it more. And that's, I think, just a general in the law in the world that if you appreciate what you have, the Lord is more willing to give you because you're taking care of it and you're appreciating what you have. Maybe the reason why you don't have because you don't appreciate what you already have. That's very deep. And I really like that concept of you have to have open hand to receive a gift. So let's um, switch to the last question, which we just talked about, which is a gift. So Richard, how would you say a gift that came from all these adversities that you had to endure? Um, well, I got three kids. I got a 17-year-old, 19-year-old, and a 10-year-old. And my daughter loves Halloween. And somebody once asked me, um, if you could be anything for Halloween, what would it be? And I said, I would be empathy man because I'm so empathetic. Um, so that would be my biggest gift that I've gotten from all my adversity is to be empathetic to each person for what they're going through. That's why like, I don't go to jury duty, thank God, but I would be the worst juror because the, the prosecutor would tell me the story and I'd be like, I get it. I understand. And then the other side would tell me the story and I'd be like, I get it. I understand. So I think for me, the greatest gift for me is being empathetic and being able to sit down because I might not have the answers for you, but my shoulders are big and I got big ears. So I'm able to listen to you to let you let it all out. And, you know, for me, I, it's something in the military. We say, I would rather listen to your BS than I would listen, than rather listen to your eulogy. So for me, uh, I think the biggest gift from all my adversity is becoming an empathetic individual. That is very beautiful. And thank you so much for sharing that. And I am glad that you realized that the empathy is a gift that came from the adversity. The, um, a lot of people do not understand is when you really go through this extreme trauma in your life and then when you are in that stage of panic mode, PTSD, or that perfect storm that you experienced, I, you explained earlier, I would say the empathy and being truly understanding and being there for somebody who otherwise wouldn't have help. I think that is a great gift that you can ever give to somebody. Well, you know, like my, like my mentor, Mr. Ed Milet, said to me, you know, um, nothing has ever happened to you. Everything has happened for you. And everything is a teachable moment. So that's the way I look upon my life. It's whatever happens to me, it's happening for me so I can help teach myself and also teach others. Well, thank you so much, Richard. Before we close our show, I would love to give um, a chance. I, I would like to give you a chance to give a last word to people who are especially 
may be going through adversity right now? Um, first of all, I want to say it's okay not to be okay. And, you know, you hear that a lot, but I'm also telling you that you're not alone. I'm also telling you that if you reach out to me on social media, um, I will hop on a phone call with you, Zoom, StreamYard. I'll give you 30 minutes of my time just to be able to talk, have somebody to listen to, bounce off ideas off for free, no charge, because you're listening to this. Just because I'd rather talk to you and you not become a statistic. So that so anybody that's listening to, uh, to, to the, today, if you need me, if you want to talk, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to meet you guys. Let's set up a time. We can talk through Zoom, phone, whatever it is. And I'm not asking anything in return. I just want uh, to, to let you know you have a friend that is willing to listen. Well, that is so generous of you. Thank you so much for saying that. That means so much to me. And that really gave me a heartwarming feeling and a purpose and validation of me starting this podcast. I love the podcast and you're going to reach millions of people because everybody is struggling with something. It doesn't matter who you are, what your status is, color, race, religion. We're all struggling with something. And it's nice to be able to hear other people that are struggling and we can all join together and know that it's okay. So beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your time on Friday night today, Richard. You really touched my heart. Thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait for you to come on my show. I think it's going to be amazing. I would love to. I'll be honored. Well, that's it for a gift from adversity tonight. And thank you to our audience again. And we will see you next time.